0: Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you are. It's Monday night. It's the start of a new week. What a weekend. What a hell of a weekend that was. Holy cow. Much to get through. I've been anxiously awaiting your presence, comrades. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Daily Boogie Podcast. I am Boogie Bumper, your host. Hopefully for the next hour or so, we'll see how we go. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you've had a lovely day, hope you had a lovely weekend. I certainly have. As I said, much going on. How the hell did you how the hell did you stay under control? Did you have a long weekend? Is that really what your forebears intended? For you to have an extended holiday? On Independence Day. Shouldn't you be out fighting the British? Don't you have somewhere else to be? But it's good to be back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As I said, Monday edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. So much to get through. Um, But we are, as the title suggests, I am going to tell you about my hot date. (laughs) A video coming out from the BBC yesterday. I haven't watched it. It's going to be one of those things that we watch together, we enjoy together. First impressions do last, as they say. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in the chat. Thank you for sharing the show out. Quick reminder, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And, of course, if you would like to take me out on a hot date, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at BoogieBumper. I just want to mention too, um, a lot of people always complain about the Periscope chat not working and stuff. We're also live on YouTube, on DLive and on Twitch. So if you want to try out one of those platforms, by all means, by all means, spread the love around. I'm not a fan of concentrated love. We need to spread the love around. And that's really what tonight's show is all about. Spreading the love. Much to get through. Um, obviously, this is there, is, is, has today been a quiet news day. Not much going on in the last couple of days, is there? I mean, I was scouring the internet looking for topics to talk about. I found a story about a cat being stuck up in a tree, and I thought, "Wow, this is this is headline stuff here. This is dynamite. This is gold." But I couldn't I couldn't find anything important. Nah, just kidding. Um. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Jeffrey Epstein thing. I am going to touch on it, but I'm going to touch on it because um, I think there's some things that need to be said that a lot of people aren't saying. Right now, it's a feeding frenzy. And there's a reason on this show we've been talking about for the last couple of years, something called the 48-hour rule. We'll just quickly go over it again. After a big news event... The way, the way people generally operate, and that's not everyone, but this is like a general population thing. In the first two days, 48 hours after a news event, all kinds of influences and agendas are vying for your attention and vying for your belief. I liken it to, you know, walking down a shopping mall and having a row of shops on one side... And a row of shops on the other side and you've got people on the left hand side going come into my store look what i'm selling i've got this event i've got it attached to these people this is where the money came from this is what's going on and on the other side you've got other people don't listen to them come into my store buy what i'm selling see i've got the real good stuff over here over there that's wrong that's fake What's really going on is it belongs to this person and it's attached to this and this is where the money's coming from. And so half-truths and innuendo and insinuations are pushed because everybody's, you know, racing each other to try and get the most eyeballs. After the first 48 hours, what tends to happen is regardless of what facts come out, people tend to create the rest of the story themselves based on the information that they got in the first 48 hours, which is where the most unreliable information resides. So you might have a whole bunch of facts and figures and data and information and evidence that contradicts what most people believe in the first 48 hours. But after the first 48 hour time period, people are less likely to change their mind. So you can go a week, two weeks, and you can keep bringing new information, but they've already created a story based on what they heard in the first two days after the event. After that, they're no longer interested in new information. This is why people, this is why clickbait is a thing. This is why people read a headline and the opening paragraph or two and then move on and create the rest of the story themselves. So let's get right into it. With that in mind, again, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing the show out. Billionaire Jeffrey Epstein had friends in high places, ladies and gentlemen. As always, any article or any video clip that we reference on this show will be in the show notes if you go to the Podbean website, which will be tweeted out as soon as the podcast goes up, which is as soon as the show is finished. (laughs) Jeffrey Epstein has hobnobbed with some of the world's most powerful people during his jet-setting life. Future President Donald Trump called him a terrific guy. Former President Bill Clinton praised his intellect and his philanthropic efforts and was a frequent flyer aboard his private jet. Following the arrest of the billionaire financier on child sex trafficking charges, Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta... Why is it all the Acostas seem to be dirtbags? What is going on in the Acosta family tree, ladies and gentlemen? Now, I know they're not related... But sometime, hundreds of years ago, they all came from one particular place in Italy somewhere, I suspect, the Acostas. A little town somewhere in the south of Italy where all the Acostas were quarantined before they made their trek to the United States and started being real douchebags in positions of power. What the hell is going on, Acosta? Alexander Acosta has come under fire after under pressure after he, a US attorney for the Southern District District of Florida, pardon me, I'm very tired. I have another swig of coffee here. Mm. was involved in a 2008 secret plea deal that allowed Epstein to avoid federal charges. The White House did not respond to repeated questions on Monday about when Trump was last in contact with Epstein. Or if he had witnessed Epstein engage in illegal activity with underage girls, can you see what's happening already? Here's a truthism for you. Here's a little bit of a reality check. Unfortunately, in the next little time period, anybody who has been anybody who has been anywhere at the same place or the same time as Jeffrey Epstein is now going to be. Connected with him and smeared with him. But that doesn't necessarily make it true. And I'm not saying that just because Donald Trump is being pictured. Anybody who knows me, who's been following this show for a while, people would come at me and say, look, look, I've got a picture of Bill and Hillary Clinton having their photo taken with this awful individual. And I would say, oh, okay, great. And then I would send them a photo back of Donald Trump being pictured with Bill and Hillary Clinton. To which I would get told, oh, that's different. That's different. The point I'm trying to get at here is it's very difficult to be a billionaire in New York and not run in the same circles as other people. Yes, that is Melania in the picture. So a word of caution, perhaps. Exactly. Trump knew lots of people. Billionaires, the billionaire circuit in New York is a very small group and it's a very influential group. And when you are a rich and powerful individual, you go to a lot of these little socialite gatherings, which to me sound like absolute fucking hell, mind you. But you go to a lot of these little gatherings and you have your photo taken with everybody there. It's just what's done. You shake everybody's hand because you might need that particular person in the future. You might donate to a politician, not because you agree with their politics, but because you're expecting some kind of deal on the back end. And people can sit around and say, well, that's awful and that's wrong and that's not the way it should be, but that's the way it is. And ideals seldom come into this argument. So I want to urge a word of caution. The feeding frenzy that is going to take place over the next two days are going to have people on all sides of the political spectrum trying to identify and smear anybody who has been around this guy in the last 30 years, and they're all going to be tagged with some kind of sexual abuser label or pedophile label. And it's not always going to be true. In fact, I would suspect it's most often not going to be true. But you can't be, you know, you can't do it from one side and say, well, see, all of the people who are Democrats and liberals who have been pictured with this guy over the last 30 years, they must all be rapists. But my guy, Donald Trump, no, he would never do that. That's different. Because you're leading yourself into a trap. You're going to allow your opponents to frame people, to smear people. I want to put it to you. If the accusations of the deep state and protected people are all true, why would this be happening? Is it even possible, perhaps, if the accusations are true, that these people are all powerful and protect their friends? Is it possible that this guy they threw under the bus purely for the reason of smearing the president? Stranger things have happened. I'm not saying it's true, but at this stage, everything is on the table. If there are people to be exposed as being involved in what this guy was doing, allegedly, then that will come out in time. But in the meantime, looking at pictures taken at parties in New York is not evidence of people being rapists. (laughs) And if you have, um, you know, if you care about any kind of credibility or integrity... You would resist the urge to call everybody who's been at the same party as this guy a rapist. Because that's not how we roll. Guilt by association is a thing used to batter one's opponents. It's, it's not the norm and it shouldn't be the norm. It is absolutely going to get nasty. Lisa Wall in the chat. Exactly. It is going to be a feeding frenzy over the next two days and you are going to have people all over Twitter and all over social media saying, hey, look at this picture, look at this guy, he must be in on it, he's in on it, he's in on it. By the end of the week, anybody who's anybody is going to be called a pedophile. And you might really, really hate the people who are being accused of it just because they had their picture taken with Jeffrey Epstein. And it might be really, really tempting for you to say, well, he's obviously in on it because he's a terrible guy because I really dislike him. (laughs) So I would just urge a word of caution, even if it's only on this tiny little show with its tiny little reach and its tiny but very loyal audience who I love dearly. Even if it's only on this tiny little corner of the internet, may we, you know help us to push back against the big broad brushstrokes that will be coming and push back against the insanity and the irrationality and the crazed feeding frenzy that is no doubt going to follow this and everybody's going to be accused and little more than a picture taken at a New York party is going to be called quote unquote evidence. And if you care about evidence, if you care about reason, if you care about rationality, then you will care enough to not engage in that kind of insanity. Now, I absolutely take it on board that most people are not going to do that. (laughs) Most people are going to engage in the feeding frenzy. Most people are going to accuse every single person on earth of being a pedophile in the next two days. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kick back, I'm going to drink my coffee, I'm going to eat my popcorn, and thank God that I'm not one of them. Mm. In saying that, here's a little quote for you. Uh, Trump organization attorney Alan Garten has since distanced Trump from Epstein, telling Politico, oh, do you you want the quote? Here's why it's dangerous. Uh, If you're a Trump supporter, here's why it's dangerous. Here's a quote from Donald Trump from 15 years ago. Actually, longer. Uh, back in 2002. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Listen to this from Donald Trump. He's a lot of fun to be with. He's talking about Jeffrey Epstein. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them on the are so- uh, on the younger side. No doubt about it. Jeffrey enjoys his social life. <laughs> you know, he's a lot of fun to be with. It's even said that he likes beautiful women as much as Trump does. And many of them are on the younger side. No doubt about it. Jeffrey enjoys his social life. Ooh. Ooh. Now does what I'm saying make sense to you? Donald Trump wouldn't be the first person on earth to praise somebody that they really don't know what's going on behind closed doors shit, even when people find out what people do do behind closed doors, they still praise them. So it's entirely possible that Donald Trump just said a nice thing about another rich and influential billionaire in New York in the early 2000s, because that's what the rich and influential billionaires in New York do. Praise each other, shake each other's hands, go to the same parties, get their photos taken, Very likely, as soon as their back is turned, they're all like, oh, that guy's a piece of shit. Can't stand him. Hate him. Hate everyone here. Very likely. But they shake their hands and say nice things about them because who knows, maybe you're going to need a billionaire financier in the future for something. So you best not burn that bridge. And you don't become a $10 billion businessman by burning bridges. But isn't that a fantastic quote from Donald Trump? So that's what I'm saying, that's there, there's your feeding frenzy. So just resist that urge to accuse every single person who's ever been photographed with this guy of being a pedophile because that's what other people are going to do. There's going to be plenty of people doing that. It doesn't necessarily make it true. Left or right, let the facts come out. Let justice take its course. See what happens. Try not to be a vampire. Just try. Asked about the charges on Sunday, Trump said, I don't know about it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, asked recently on Sunday, Trump was asked and he said, I don't know about it, the charges against Epstein. That's not necessarily true. I want to show you something. Back in 2016 at CPAC, ladies and gentlemen, Sean Hannity talking to Donald Trump.
1: Uh Bill Clinton. Nice guy. Uh got a lot of problems coming up, in my opinion, with the famous island with Jeffrey Epstein. A lot of
0: do you want to hear it again? Donald Trump back in 2016 at CPAC, ladies and gentlemen, being asked about Bill Clinton.
1: Uh, Bill Clinton. Nice guy. Uh, got a lot of problems coming up, in my opinion, with the famous island, with Jeffrey Epstein. A lot of problems.
0: So, again, let's be adults here. Let's discuss this in an adult fashion and talk about the truth. Why would Donald Trump say he doesn't know anything about it when he was forecasting it back in 2016? Well, there's a couple of obvious answers. The first obvious answer would be that Donald Trump, the candidate, is a different beast entirely to Donald Trump, the president. And the president cannot be seen to be personally intervening in a criminal case against his perceived political opponents. That's number one. If there is to be a successful conviction and a successful prosecution, then it must be seen to be removed from the politics. It has to be, a, it has to be at arm's length from Donald Trump at all times. So that would be the most obvious reason for me why Donald Trump would say I don't know anything about it. even though it's most obviously not true. But he can't say anything about it because he has to divorce himself from what's happening. The reason that other people are going to say that Donald Trump didn't know anything about it is he's scared because he's caught up in it, which, to be fair, might be true, but I suspect uh, the former is more likely to be true. So again, just want to urge a word of caution. Try not to get involved in the feeding frenzy. But we'll see what happens. Facts will come out. There'll be plenty of time for lynch mobs once we have more facts on the table. Out of interest, uh, this was shared by the good general. Uh, Last week, I think it was, general. Elite campground Bohemian Grove draws scrutiny... From local officers, uh, local officials over no woman policy. Bohemian Grove, a long scheduled, uh, long secluded playpen for an elite clique of business titans, plutocrats, uh, power brokers, and politicians, is drawing scrutiny from local officials in Northern California over its exclusion of women. Who would have thought that progress would be the thing to bring Bohemian Grove to its knees? I'm not I'm not sure the I'm not sure the women would want to be in a place like Bohemian Grove where a bunch of uh elderly obese men gather around to dress in strange robes and do mock ritual sacrifice ceremonies to their owl god Moloch. What woman would want to be a part of that? Like where's the salon? Where's the pool? Oh, we don't have any of that here. No. Are you ready to sacrifice a virgin? Uh Hard pass. Hard pass. And these robes make me really sweaty. Really sweaty. The Sonoma County Board of Supervisors is objecting to a law enforcement contract for the tree-lined outfit north of San Francisco. The club, which since its founding in 1872 has prohibited women from joining, uses $151,000 plus change in police resources during their 18-day 18 18 encampment in Monte Rio. The Bohemian Grove reimburses the county for its costs. Well, wow. you get the most rich and powerful people on earth, men, of obviously, only the men, the most rich and powerful men on earth gathered around to engage in strange ritual sacrifices to their god Moloch, 18 days and it costs $150,000 to protect the place. I wonder what they're up to. (laughs) I wonder what they're doing in there. I wonder what they're doing in there. Well, that's perhaps a story for another time. But we'll keep that on the ball. I just found it interesting that, you know, when a week after Bohemian Grove was in the news, suddenly uh, this Epstein thing turns. I was like, hmm... Hmm. Isn't that the darnest thing, the way the universe lines up sometimes? So, with everybody going to who, with everybody who's going to be accused of being a pedophile in the next couple of days, um, I wanted to think about solutions. How do we get around this? How can we get the sexual deviants amongst us to, you know, crawl themselves back into a cave and entertain themselves without getting in the way of the rest of society? Because that's really what we're dealing with here. There has always been deviants and there always will be deviants. Unless, of course, progress takes us full circle and everybody gets castrated. Which we all pray it does. But, saw this video come out yesterday. And I just saw the title of it and I thought, well, we absolutely have to watch this together. This is one of those ones, I couldn't pre-watch it. My date with a robot from bbc news yes it's one of our favorite topics here on the daily boogie podcast it's another sex robot story yeah (laughs) (laughs) this time the bbc tackling the big issues uh let's have a look at my date with a robot and see why humankind is going to be soon obsolete
2: welcome to the bbc i'm erica ahoy some people worry that robots will take our jobs.
0: Take my job. And other
2: people worry that they won't. In places where there just aren't enough workers, they're trying to make that happen. Hello, Unibo. Do you speak English? Hello. Konnichiwa.
0: In, in places where there aren't enough workers, they can't get the robot... What, we can't get somebody to work at a fucking desk at a hotel? All of a sudden? When did that happen? Why can't we get people to work at a desk at a hotel anymore? I've never had a problem. (laughs) Sure, maybe I've had to wait five minutes and ring the ding, ring the bell. And then somebody walks out from a back room. I didn't know there was a shortage of hotel desk workers. Amazing. We absolutely need to fill this position with robots immediately.
2: I'm sorry. I could
3: not find a word. (laughs)
2: But would you let a robot read you the news, or look after your children, or even take you on a date? I'm on the way to meet someone in Ginza, a fancy part of Tokyo. Hello,
4: Ginza people.
2: Koki-san? Hi, I'm Koki. Hey, how are you?
4: I'm
2: Do you want to walk down this way? Yeah. Okay, but my date is actually 300 miles away.
4: When I was 17 years old, I dived into a swimming pool and I broke my neck. See, it always it always starts with this.
0: The most horrible ideas are always packaged up in pretty wrapping paper with a nice, pretty bow around it. Now obviously like personal injury and stuff anything we can do to make these people's lives better 100% let's do it let's go for it But it always starts with some kind of tragic tale these robot stories I'm not even joking I've watched enough of them and if you're following this show you'll know that I'm telling the truth it always starts with something like this a robotic arm a robotic leg Hey look at look what science is doing we're getting people we're making people people again but then it very slowly, very casually starts slipping into areas like transhumanism. Having sex with robots instead of real people. Having robot police officers patrolling around the parks in LA. That's already happening. We did that story last week on Wednesday night. They start taking, they start, what what becomes a story about humanity and humanity's Capacity to exceed and excel and create solutions using technology uh, soon becomes a story of removing humanity from the equation and replacing humanity wherever possible.
4: Uh, Since then, I have been paralyzed below my neck. I'm actually a big man, or he makes me cute.
2: Koki, why why are you so interested in cars?
4: I used to like super cars when I was a little kid.
2: Do you want to drive this one? Yeah,
4: I would. This is Ferrari too. Hmm. No, I can get in get in the car.
2: Wait, wait. This one is really cool.
4: Oh. Now
2: see, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed.
0: I thought this was a story about going on a date with a robot, not a video camera with a microphone. This is totally different. This is like a guy in a robot suit. This is the modern-day equivalent of going out on a date with a guy in a robot suit. It's no different. (laughs) I thought the robot was talking to him. It's just some guy in an apartment somewhere. (laughs) So now my whole perspective on this story has changed. What I thought was going to be, you know, the robots are taking over human relationships. We're no longer able to interact with each other. Now it's just kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you could do the same job with a fucking iPhone. You could walk around with the iPhone out and have it in your ears and say, should we walk down this way? iPhone bot. Looks just like a robot. I'm going on a date with a, with
4: an iPhone. <laughs> What's the difference? I felt like I have another me out there. Uh, it's like a I can go anywhere with Orihime, so I can do much more things with only Orihime.
2: Koki San took part in a pilot project where he was able to work in a cafe for a day using a different version of urimei. Why is the avatar so important?
3: Here,
0: here we go. Here we go. Now we're starting. Now we're starting. To, now we're starting to wind up that engine. Why? Why should humans have only one body? <laughs> yeah, let's have a whole range. Let's have the cute little robot that sits on a desk and makes coffee. And as soon as we can progress to the battlefield warrior killing machine, which is run by some guy in in an apartment somewhere, like a sci-fi dystopian horror show, then by all means, can we get to that? Can we get to that as quickly as possible? Why should humans? It's just a body. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Transhumanism. To be
3: honest with you, I'm not so into AI development. Humans should be number
0: one and robots should be in the assistant position. I've always thought so
2: the number of people
0: on the planet is exploded. <laughs> Just what we need. The, the place is overpopulated. <clears throat> so let's get everybody, say, uh, staying in their houses, staying in their rooms, or perhaps in some kind of pod, and we'll have the robots running around instead. Maybe that's what we should do. We'll have the robots out there. The the digital representations of ourselves, you can download your Facebook profile directly to the robot. Now, of course, if you're banned from Facebook, this is going to be this is going to present some problems for you. There there will probably be a subterranean robot world where all of the rebel reject robots exist. they they're down there waving their Nazi flags.
2: <laughs> Not everywhere. Kill them Japan has the oldest population in the world. That means not enough young workers to power the economy. Uh-huh. And it doesn't want to bring in many foreigners. <laughs> Robots are one alternative.
0: <laughs> That's an understatement. The Japanese, the birth rates are declining. Uh, their population is declining. But unlike the West, who said, well, we're gonna, we need perpetual growth in order to feed capitalism... To pay for the pensions that we promised for the last 50 years which we're not going to be able to pay because we're not replacing our populations quickly enough we're going to bring in a whole bunch of people from the third world and they're going to be working in the bmw factories in germany but unlike the west japan has known that they're going to have a population decline for the last 20 or 30 years and they said well let's just work around it let's find some other solution and that's where you get um <laughs> sex toys inventing vending machines on the streets and little girls panties and robots that you uh, date, have sex with, and make coffee for you. <laughs> I don't, you, you have to decide which, which future do you want better. Genuine question. Would you rather be inundated with, you know, a flood of migration from other parts of the world, or would you rather have sex with a robot? It's a, it's a tough choice, I know. It's a difficult one.
2: But are they really ready to replace us? Oh dear. I feel like we're in a chat show here, but I'm not sure who the presenter is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Japan sounds awesome, says Nathan.
2: <laughs> Meet Erica. Hello, Erica. The first robot newsreader in the world.
0: Hi, I'm Erica. Don't praise the machine. <laughs> To be fair, I I, I don't see the problem I don't see the difference between robot newsreaders and our newsreaders now, to be honest with you. I mean, our newsreaders now are completely devoid of personality, completely devoid of humanity, completely devoid of wit. They run on alcohol and cocaine in most cases, and they read what they're told to read. I, what's the difference? The robot newsreader might just be a lot cheaper to run. We just have to have one technician on standby.
2: Nice to meet you. <laughs> you Where too. Where are you from? I am from Ireland. I uh, love you very much.
1: I love- oh. Wow, whoa, whoa.
2: Kawai Kawakami whoa. is Erica's engineer.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: She's gone straight to love. This girl wants it. Do you think a robot and a human can be in love? Whoa. Hello, I love you. <laughs> Jesus, coming on a little stronger, it, sweetheart. I don't think so, says the guy.
2: Erica minds the internet to learn how to... <laughs> so this is the
0: programmer. He's the guy who made this robot. And the first thing that blurts this robot, blurts out of its mouth is, it turns to him and says, do you think a human and a robot could be in love? And he rather sheepishly and embarrassingly is like, (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows how this guy is defiling this robot behind closed doors? Back in the warehouse when nobody's around. Why, sir, when you turned, why? How come? Can you tell me, sir, robot nerd, when you turned the robot on, why was the first words that came out of its mouth about loving humans and looking right at you? And he's trying to pretend like I don't know what she's talking. about. That had nothing to do with me. <laughs> I that's just that's just a random thing in the programming. I I I that's not me. I didn't tell her to do that. I didn't tell her to do it. Shut up. We'll talk about it when we get home. I told you not to talk about use the L word in public. Our love is secret. Can humans love robots? Shh. Shh. Got cameras on in here. Any more out of you when you're going back in the closet. Okay. I love you. Stop it. Stop it. I haven't told my parents yet.
2: <laughs> Speak. Tofu. Tofu. I like you. I like you. I like tofu. I can't
0: eat it. I can eat it. I'm not it.
2: sure you can. I can't eat it. <laughs> okay, if you insist. AI mode still needs some work.
0: Yeah, well well this minute. At the moment, she's like a baby.
4: She has little knowledge. So when others talk, she just copies them. She she just
0: copies them. So now we know. Now we know that the guy made himself a girlfriend. He's talking about love. He's got the robot saying, I can eat it. I can eat it. (laughs) What can you eat, sweetheart? Oh, the tofu. Ah, right just the tofu so he's sitting he said he's saying himself she just copies what other people tell them so he's made himself a girlfriend he sits it down he starts talking about humans and robots falling in love with each other who can eat what and he's like ah she's just a baby she's just copying I don't know where it's coming from like babies copy their mothers
2: are you confident that she'll be able to have a normal conversation one day
0: would you want it to? 50 years?
2: Japan makes and develops more robots than almost anywhere else in the world, which makes sense because it is kind of obsessed with them. Where else would parents be happy to let a robot look after their children? <laughs> this is Vivo.
0: This is fantastic. Now you don't have to spend any time with your children at all. Give them an iPhone, give them a robot, and away you go. And then, now you can enjoy your 30-something inner city lifestyle without the dead weight of those children dragging you down. If you weren't lucky enough to have an abortion, if you missed out on the abortion train, don't worry, never fear. Robot Nanny is here. There you go, children.
2: Oh, hi, all. come on. So, aside from being super cute, Vivo also greets kids when they arrive and takes their temperature. He records how much they've had to eat and how much they've slept, and then he tells the parents that at the end of the day when they come to pick their kids up. Aside from that, at this point, he doesn't do much else.
0: If you were a child raised by robots, do you think that there would be, like, a Jungle Book story made about you in the future? (laughs) You know, the Jungle Book? Mowgli, the kid that was raised by the wild animals. Was it bears or lions? I can't even fucking remember. It was that long ago. Like, are we really going to start raising children with robots now? Like, where, where is the ethical line here? Isn't that almost like cruel and unusual punishment? I mean, we're one step away. Sometimes you have to step back. We are one step away from raising children in a glass box. You know what I mean, and then turning the lights off at certain times, hitting them with water at certain times, like a scientific freak show. We'll have the robot was it wolves was it? Thank you, Key Wizard. So we'll have the robots come in, take their temperature. But we are talking about Japan here. There's a lot of intelligent people in Japan. How long would it be before the kid reprograms the robot to do what he wants? <laughs> maybe take the maybe take the parents hostage. Now see now see how you like it. See how you like a robot walking around cataloguing what you do, what you eat, what your temperature is.
2: <laughs> Joe Sadamatsu set up a series of care homes and nurseries when he was in his twenties. Now it's a multi-million dollar business. But they have one major struggle.
4: We need more workers.
0: feminism never really made it to japan we either need more foreigners or we need to get more women or robots (laughs) the men the men are off doing important jobs jobs where you wear suits and program robots to have sex with you behind closed doors so what we need is either foreigners women or robots isn't it nice to know that the foreigners the women and the robots are all on the same pegging they're all equal in japan the men are far higher, of course. The men are doing the important work. But the women and the foreigners and the robots, eh, whichever one you got. Haven't got any foreigners? Send us some robots. Haven't got any robots? Fine, I guess we'll take some women then. Whatever you got. <laughs> it's hard to find more female workers because most
2: of them... How long do you think it will be before the whole nursery is run by robots? Um.
3: 15, 15 years.
2: 15! That's soon! <laughs> For the moment, Vivo is more of an idea than uh, a revolution. It's
0: just an idea.
2: In Japan, there's an ancient Shinto belief that everything has a spirit.
0: Oh, good, the robots a lot of have the robots spirits. being
2: developed in Japan seem to look like humans or like cute, cuddly things. And while androids look cool, most of them aren't really that useful. But
0: there's a reason that they make the robots look like humans. There's a reason that they spend millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars every single year, billions, attempting to replicate human uh, behavior, human movement, human speech patterns, even the way the the expressions you make on your face. Because we know, like, if we're greeted with a smiling human face, then subconsciously we're more open to it, whatever that is. And we also know through scientific study that people are less intimidated by a female face smiling than a male face, right? So that's why a lot of these robots that come out are female. It's not, it's not so much just because of the sex aspect. But if you're going to make people feel comfortable with not only accepting robots in their future, but living and treating them as equals, then you need to make people comfortable with the idea. So it needs to look human and it needs to look like one of us. It needs to smile and put you at ease. If, it's, if it looks like a robot, people are going to be less likely to accept it.
2: There's a lot of research going into robots that do things that it's difficult to find humans to do. And one of those is picking vegetables.
0: (laughs) Bonnie in the chat says, they should make them look like pandas. Now those are cute. But then you'd have a lot of people shooting them. (laughs) They're very expensive. Panda robots are very expensive. They'd end up just in a zoo, getting selfies with children. I, I mean, if you thought it was hard to get pandas to fuck... Imagine trying to get two robot pandas to replicate. Oh!
4: Within the next 10 years, the number of Japanese farmers are going to decrease by half, actually. The robot has this special type of camera, so it will sort of observe the shape of the this. asparagus Look and whether it's long enough so that it can be picked or not.
2: I'm guessing this is a lot slower than a human. So we're not
4: aiming to become make it faster than human, but rather We cover it by operating longer.
2: The idea is that Inaho will cost a little less than human labor. A robot designed to replace humans could also help smallhold farmers to survive.
0: I've seen this thing before.
2: There's a fear that automated machines will put billions of us out of work.
0: A fear. It's just. There's a perception out there that automated machines will put billions of us out of work. There's an idea floating around out there that robots will put us all out of work. Never mind the fact that they already are in many cases. Even white collar jobs, white collar jobs are the first ones to go. You know, stock traders, for example. You know, you see in the movies, people on the floor in Wall Street, you know, buy, sell, that doesn't exist anymore. It's all done through AI. Computers calculating minute fluctuations in world currency and buying and selling, doing equations much faster than a human being ever could. So those jobs are already gone. I mean, I think that's what crypto mining is all about, by and large. So it's not a perception. It's not an idea. It's not just a fear. It's a very relevant discussion that people are going to have to have in the future. In the nineteen fifties, a whole bunch of people were writing documents for you know world governmental bodies like the UN. I believe it was called the there was called the League of Nations before it was called the UN. And they were writing these documents saying that one day in the future, we're all going to live in this utopian socialist paradise where all of the robots are going to be doing all of the work for us. And we'll be free to, you know, exist in the true human spirit, whatever the hell that is. Meaning we'll be free to just lay around, right? Read, write poetry, play little douchebag songs on the guitar, Make love, take drugs, drink, eat, do whatever we want. We'll be free to do all that just as soon as we can get the robots to replace us. And that's why you get ideas like universal basic income coming into the equation. But I would ask you this. Why would somebody spend Billions, hundreds of billions of dollars over the course of 20 years trying to find out, trying to find a way to replace you, to replace humans, and then pay you to stay alive. Why would they do that? Why would these mega corporations be investing hundreds of billions of dollars a year on systems to replace workers and then out of the goodness of their heart just give you enough money to keep buying their product, why would they keep you alive? If you serve no purpose, if you have no reason for existing, if you have no reason, if you aren't valuable to the company in terms of work, why would they want you here? Why would they pay you to keep you alive? See, I, like many others, suspect that universal basic income is not a benevolent you know, charity to give people money to get by on, I suspect that it's normalization. It's easing you in to accepting your fate. So what do they do when they, what do we do when they cut off the money? What happens then? What happens then?
2: But even in a place where workers are desperately needed, People are proving that even if robots could replace us, they don't have to. Ah.
0: They don't have to. We can all live in harmony with the robots and have a merry old time. Have a merry old time. I just want to do one more video again, another one I haven't watched yet. But I was looking forward to it last week. We didn't get time last week. My favourite Democrat candidate, ladies and gentlemen, Marianne Williamson she wants to heal the country by running for president vice news has been following her around on the campaign trail i don't know if you heard but eric swalwell dropped out today i think did that happen did eric drop out yet if not he's about to so that means one down for marianne williamson uh 35 to go or however many fucking people are running in this joke but one down marianne williamson not the first one out well done marianne So Vice has been following her around on the campaign trail. So I want to see what Marianne Williamson is like away from the debate stage. She's a very intriguing character.
1: At Thursday's Democratic presidential debate, you'll probably know most of the candidates, except for Marianne Williamson. Williamson was born in Texas. Texas. This is where her whole thing is really from. An Art Deco era movie theater in Beverly Hills.
3: Welcome to Agape. We recognize you.
1: On Sunday mornings, it's where you'll find the Agape International Spiritual Center uh. weekly meeting for worship. And talking
0: with my mind. She's she's from one of those crazy uh, Protestant sects. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Just your standard in touch with the universe, California feel good fun time.
4: And talking
3: with my mind. Welcome to the stage. Marianne Williamson.
1: Williamson's guest appearances used to be about healing yourself. Go, girlfriend, but now they're about healing the country.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Los Angeles. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a corporate matrix that has become a new American aristocracy. We need to do more than just make life better for the serfs. We need to dissolve the aristocracy. This is America, and we don't have one here. Revolution!
0: Woo! <laughs> she is right she she there uh, you know, the, the the American Indians had a belief, ladies and gentlemen, that people who were crazy were actually in direct contact with the gods. So a crazy person coming out and muttering crazy things is actually speaking the word of God but as best as a human can, like you can't, you can't be coherent when you speak the word of God, you know, you're getting a direct data download from the gods. That's like, comes out like a crazy person, but that was their belief that the, you know, the crazy people were actually getting direct data downloads from gods. Now, I don't know if Marianne Williamson has any native American in her, but um, she's right in like, like, Like many instances of people uttering crazy things, there are elements of truth in there that get intertwined with a whole bunch of batshit. There is a corporate matrix. There is a matrix of corporations that are weaving webs all over the rest of us, all over society, nationally and internationally, in all aspects of our lives. I mean, we did the Facebook cryptocurrency story a couple of weeks ago. Signing up with MasterCard, Uber, all of these different companies, they, want, they openly admit they want to replace the global financial system. Then, of course, brings a whole new problem to censorship online and being kicked off platforms like Facebook. A direct threat to your ability to operate freely in the marketplace. So she's right there. But where my eye starts to twitch, where I start to get a little uncomfortable... Is where it's like, so we need to dissolve the the aristocracy. It's like, oh no 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 no, we've been there, we've done that, we've tried that. Have you not Have you not read about the French Revolution? Eventually, you run out of people to behead, and you start beheading each other. This is what happens when we start going after these people, when we start trying to dissolve the aristocracy. Once once we've wiped out the aristocracy, then we're all looking at each other, going, okay, who's next? Who's the next richest guy? Get him. <laughs> It never ends. Williamson is a rock star in this world. It's like new age Christian communism. A a more nicer and polite and slightly quirky communism. It's in Los Angeles that she
1: grew into one of America's most successful spiritual teachers. (laughs) And it's her celebrity that got her on the debate stage. When people like her start getting political, a lot of other people tend to roll their eyes. Williamson, after all, was pretty much the platonic ideal of coastal, rich, woke, white lady with opinions.
3: <laughs> My career started here back in the '80s. I've been lecturing on a set of books called *The Course in Miracles*. Not a religion. It's a system of spiritual psychotherapy. It's about how to be more loving and how forgi- to be more forgiving. I'm like now, I'm talking about love as it applies to politics.
1: This stuff plays great in California. I bet. I bet it does. Did you care about her before she got into politics? Yeah, I did. Her Why? What was so important? The that came out, "The Healing of America," and she-
0: Where, wherever there is a person talking about we need to be more open, we need to be more loving, we need to invent, we need to inject more love into politics, there is always a grey-haired '60s retread still trying to get over an acid trip from 1965. Uh, everywhere. They are always there. The crazy hippie boomer chicks are just waiting in the wings to vote for Marianne Williamson.
1: She received a lot of flack from
2: people in the so-called spiritual community because you weren't supposed to mix spirituality and politics. Why
1: do you love Marianne Williamson so much? There's another one. We've got another one.
3: Well, I really strongly believe that we do need to return to love. And she is right on on so many of the issues that are important to me
0: from- Fuck, you know what? I might run for president. How hard can How hard can it be to get on a debate stage if you all of your answers, if all of your proposed solutions are just like, we just need more love? Yeah! Woo! Woo! This guy. This guy gets it. Mr. Bumber, what do you propose to do about the rising wealth inequality? for people in minority communities? Well, I just... I mean, it's not that hard. I just think we need to get back to love. Am I right? Yeah! Woo! <laughs> get back to love! See, all of this get back to love stuff, for me, it just sounds like they just want to go back to the 1960s. Remember in the, remember the 1960s when love was a thing? Can we just get back to love... I want to get back to a time when I took copious amounts of LSD and copious amounts of penis and my breasts were still perky. Where I could run around in, you know, in the sunshine of San Francisco topless with a, with a flower necklace and all, solve all of the world's fucking problems. You know what I mean? Hey, dude, just like, it's just like no war, man. It's like, we, why are we killing each other, man, when there's just so much love on planet Earth, you know? It's like, expand your mind, man. Just get back to love. Just get back to love, you know? It's like, man, we got to open the borders because we got to just love everybody. Just got to bring everybody in for some love. Just get back to love. They, just, they, just, they can't wait to get back to the 1960s. They, they will tell you that the 1960s was an era of white supremacy and patriarchy and inequality and everything was awful. But all of these people have not changed their tunes since the 1960s. <laughs> They're saying the exact same fucking things. Man, we just need to get back to love. I'm telling you, man.
3: From a holistic
4: standpoint. Yeah. Uh.
1: Williamson thinks this stuff plays great all across the country, too. Right. <laughs> and that's why a day and a half... Can you imagine, like a grisly
0: old fucking rancher in Oklahoma? Marion Williamson thinks this stuff. Bla- imagine knocking on, you know, Joe Bloggs's door in Oklahoma. He's had a hard day out there fixing fences, herding herding cattle, branding. Right. He's been tending to the he's been tending to his head of cattle on his property, and you knock on this guy's door. Yep. So, I just want to ask you, um, do you really think... What do you think about the future? What do you think about the future of our country? Huh? (laughs) This stuff plays great everywhere, all across the country. Well, you know, don't you think that there's a lot of divisiveness and there's a lot of hatred uh, going around in the world and we have all of these problems? Like, what's your biggest problem right now? Well, I guess... I guess you could do something about the foxes. They keep coming in and eating my chickens. Great, great example. So, in today's world, the fox represents the corporate matrix. These are the demons who are trying to overrun us and using their hatred to eat our life force, which is our chicken. Do you consider your chickens to be the life force of your establishment here? Huh? Well, I... You know, people buy the eggs and that's how I make a money. So how are you going to stop my foxes coming in? Because I really just need a new fence. No, no. We need to, we need to break down fences. Fences are not the answer. We need to welcome love. Yeah, but I, I don't love the foxes. I don't love the coyotes neither. The coyotes is a big problem around here. I know the coyotes are loving the chickens. Well, that's a great start. This stuff plays
1: tremendously well around the country. After Agape, we're in New Hampshire for a full day of 2020 campaign stops, including a no press allowed visit to a veterans homeless shelter. Hi. Nice to meet you. And a more conventional sum speech. We
3: need a moral and a political and a social and an economic revolution in this country, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing less than that.
0: And that has. Don't get me wrong. I think she seems like a lovely woman. You know what I mean? I think she seems like a very nice woman. She's the kind of woman you would love to meet on the subway. You know what I mean? She, she's, probably the, she's probably very charming and very friendly and very lovable. But she's also, when it comes to politics, I suspect, incredibly immature. <laughs> that doesn't mean we, we can't say so. She is running for president. Because a lot of people are like, oh, you can't say that. That's not fair. She's running for president. She put herself in that position. She's the one who put her hand up and said, I want to run the country. And I'm going to do it with love and spiritual love.
3: To begin with all of us waking up, all of us being aware in a way that we have not before.
2: I would like to know what you have over Elizabeth Warren. Bernie and
3: Elizabeth and I have the same views in terms of an a. <laughs>
0: What do I have over Elizabeth Warren? Well, I'm more in touch with my spiritual side. I've known more Indians in my time than Elizabeth Warren has.
3: (laughs) Fundamental pattern disruption of the political and economic status quo in the United States. I've fallen down.
1: Alanis makes an appearance. Williamson's been political for a while now. In 2014, she tried to run for Congress and failed, despite a campaign song by Alanis Morissette. Her politics are very left she's critical of corporate power strongly advocates for slavery reparations and supports universal government-funded health care coverage in 2016 she publicly endorsed bernie sanders how is your socialism different from bernie's socialism
3: i don't think of myself as a socialist i think of myself as a capitalist with a conscience <laughs>
0: Why, why even have definitions anymore? Why even have ideologies anymore? Okay, so you want universal healthcare. You want reparations. You want you want a lot of these socialist ideas. Okay. Why is your socialism different from Bernie Sanders' socialism? Oh, I'm not a socialist. <laughs> I'm a capitalist with a conscience. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? <laughs> Why why even bother why even bother having left and right why even bother having capitalism and socialism let's just let's just let everybody just make up what they want I mean I sell love I don't sell capitalism I don't sell solutions I sell love I sell love and spirituality
3: I think that capitalism can be very good at creating economic opportunities, but what has happened since the 1980s? Mm. Capitalism has completely disconnected itself from any sense of ethical or moral responsibility ah, right. to anything beyond fiduciary responsibility yep. to its own stockholders.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of these corporations are just running around killing people now. Did you were you aware of this? Now, I'm not. Um, I'm not in favor of big corporations lobbying. I have my own issues with the corporate world and crony corporate capital, like overbearing corporatism I have my issues with these global corporate behemoths trying to dictate to politics and politicians just as much as the next person but to say that they've just completely gone away from any kind of ethical responsibility is just utter nonsense, it's complete nonsense like show me the corporate genocides Show me the corporate killing fields, right? Now, we can say that corporations have a lot of power and probably have too much power in a lot of cases, and they're running roughshod over the democratic systems of the West. Fine. Fine. That's a conversation you can have. But once we start getting into these black and white things, all corporations are evil because they put profits over people. It's just plainly false because. If corporations did put profits over people in every single case, then the corporations would go broke very, very
1: quickly.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: The Manchester event was a foreign policy event. Williams had offered a lot of concern about nuclear weapons and ongoing wars.
3: And you can't just prepare endlessly for war and hope you back up into peace. (laughs) We also have to wage peace. We have to cultivate peace.
0: A promise to create an Department of peace. We have to wage peace? <laughs> okay, America, I've got I've got, this, I've got this great idea. Let's win with love. So I want you to take all of your armaments, all of your military, all of your tanks, all of your missiles, everything, the whole lot, all the jets, all the soldiers, all the guns, and burn them. Get rid of it all. Get rid of your borders, get rid of your, you know, your machines of war, get rid of your surveillance, get rid of everything and let's wage peace instead. (laughs) (laughs) And when people come to the door with their tanks, I want you to take a nice pretty flower and go up to the gun barrel of that tank and put the flower in the barrel of that tank. Say they can't harm us. They can't harm us. We're waging peace
1: here. The Peace Department. An America that talks softly and carries a big crystal stick. What's wrong with politics?
3: It's a conversation that has become too narrow a container for the energies that are needing and seeking to emerge on the planet right now. Ah.
0: (laughs) That That is by far... See, I love her. I reckon she's great. That is by far the most original answer I've ever heard to the question, what's wrong with politics? Most people would say corruption, people would say lobbying, people would say detachment, people would say they live in their own bubble, they don't understand the issues that uh, real people are facing. These are your very bog standard responses to that kind of question when a candidate is asked, what's wrong with politics? She goes completely the other way. What's wrong with politics? Well. It's too narrow a field for the spiritual energies who want to um, ta- you know dance on the face of planet Earth to do what they want oh. right um So how about the corruption then? what are we going to do what are we going to do about tax how does that fit in with the taxation plan? I'm not I'm not following you. you know you spoke about our uh, universal health care. Um, How do we pay for that with the, what did you say? The spiritual energies who want to embody the earth. Okay. Okay. I'm not really following
1: this. People call you a spiritual guru. What do you think about that?
3: But I don't think anybody over these last 35 years will come hear me at a talk and think I wasn't a decent person of decent intelligence. But these caricatures get created. So yes, the new age guru, like I'm some... Crystal lady in cut velvet and not that Listen, I know some wonderful crystal ladies in cut velvet, too. but it's just that this you know the the implication is that you're an intellectual lightweight, and there was a time when it definitely marginalized and minimized my career. Now,
0: oh, i'm being I'm being oppressed by the things that I say. Oh. I'm being oppressed because of my belief that the world should be run on love. And that poli- the problem with politics that it- is that it's too narrow for the spiritual energies to embody the earth. And I'm a victim. People, people aren't taking me seriously.
1: <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> now I'm like, Shh. what does it mean to be spiritual?
3: All that spirituality is, is the path of the hearts. That's all. There's no spirituality ah. is different than religion. Franklin right. Roosevelt said the administrative aspect of the presidency is secondary. He said the primary role of the presidency is moral leadership. Oh, God. You know, it wasn't a bunch of philosophers and yoga practitioners who led us into Iraq.
1: What do you think a yoga (laughs) practitioner would lead us into?
0: (laughs)
3: Well, hopefully a greater alignment.
0: Nobody who does yoga could be evil. (laughs) Wasn't a bunch of yoga practitioners who led us into the war of Iraq. I would love to say I would love to see a president every morning when they do their press conference. Just walk out onto the presidential lawn and start doing stretches instead. Breathe. Let the energy of the world flow through you. Align your chakras. Madam President, Madam President! Madam President, how are you going to deal with the terrorism in the Middle East, madam? <sighs> Just face the sun 45 degrees down. Let the energy of the world flow through your chakra. Let love conquer all. Let the spiritual spirits of the spiritual energy of the earth embody you.
1: Online, Ling campaign is doing very well. But in New Hampshire... Her crowds were small, but attentive. —
3: It turns out,
1: love is the answer, after all. — Love is the answer. — The stereotype would be that basically that kind of woo-woo stuff isn't going to play in New Hampshire, (laughs) but you think it might. — I think it might. She approaches it with a passion, and she explains it at the very beginning there. She, She explained what she did and what she does, but she doesn't sound like a Dr. Phil. Williamson li- I think Dr. Phil would
0: have a far better chance of running. <laughs> I think Dr. Phil Dr. Phil could fucking win the presidency one day. I'm not even joking. If any other TV celebrity had um, you know elected official written all over them, it would be Dr. Phil for sure. What you have to understand is a lot of these a lot of these people, these terrorists come from broken families. So you can't, we're not going to, we're going to, we're not going to boogie like that. You know, America, America's not going to let its child talk to it like that. You have to put your foot down from time to time. This is your house with your rules. You need to lay down the law to these kids. Now you need to give room for your children to grow, but you can't let them run the household. You're the one that's in charge. All of a sudden, Dr. Phil would be the fucking top polling guy. moved to Iowa. We need the wall because children need boundaries. They crave boundaries. (laughs) When you put the children in the cage, you're giving them boundaries.
1: (laughs) Who could argue with that? to live there through the caucuses. Oprah would vote, and she's campaigning all the time. She's taking this pretty seriously. Tomorrow night she'll learn how seriously Democrats are taking her. When Democrats and when the establishment gets nervous about the left, what they're often nervous about is like, woke white women from the coast, woke white who women have a lot of sort of starry ideas and want to tell people what to do. Well
3: first of all, I don't feel like I'm telling people what to do. Oh, no. I'm stating a moral principle, telling people what to do. Listen.
0: I'm not telling people what to do. By the way, um, we want reparations and universal health care. You will pay for that person's health care. You will pay for those reparations. We are going to make it law. We are going to force you using the power of the state to hand over your money to the government to be redispersed in a way that we see fit. But we're not telling you what to do. You can't put a price on love, can you? can't put a price on love. This is compassion. This is compassion. I don't call it socialism. I don't call it socialism when I take all of the money from the taxpayers and redistribute it according to my own morality, to my own ethical source, which comes somewhere from, from somewhere deep within planet earth. Because politics is just a vehicle for the energies of planet earth to um, express themselves. So I don't call it socialism. I call it capitalism with a conscience. So we're going to take all the money by force. We're going to throw you in jail if you don't like it. Yes, that's right. Tax tax you into poverty because it's the, it's the moral thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. I mean, think of the spiritual energy here.
3: People can vote for who they vote for. You've seen me in Los Angeles. You've seen me in New Hampshire. My words are landing. If you want to take...
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm very popular in L.A., And I'm doing quite well in New Hampshire. What else is there, really? What else is there? What what other bases do I have to cover? Let the primal energy of my soul seep deep into middle America. Let the energy of planet Earth dance like a cabbage patch fairy. Let's solve the world's problems with love and not hate. I'm not a socialist. I'm a capitalist with a conscience. And there have been some unfair labels and I've been oppressed by them. But my words are landing. (laughs) Lisa in the chat. A spaceship is landing. (laughs) Time to go home, Marianne. Do a campaign rally in Roswell in Area 51, perhaps. Take me home. Take me home. I don't belong here on this planet. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for joining us. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. Don't forget to follow our friends at RealPersonPLTCS for the best 15-minute data downloads on the interwebs and Chris Mack, the preacher man, for 45 periscopes a day. If you want to infect me with some spiritual energy from planet Earth, you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogiebumper. Until tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, 11 p.m., we'll be back right here. Stay calm, stay rational, God bless, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. That's what we need. More positive energy up in this motherfucker, please. Get woke or get broke. Sometimes it's the same thing. Thanks, Renee. Thanks, Minute Man. Thank you, Stefan Sears. All right, guys. Until tomorrow night. Have a great night. Have a great day. See you then. Bye-bye.